So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. This incident alone may cost Missouri taxpayers as much as $50 million. I'll do it for half that much. (laughs) (laughs) Which buddies? Which buddies did you call, Mister Governor Parsons, to look into this? They quoted that number. Smashing Security, Episode Two Hundred and Forty Eight. Press F twelve to hack with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode Two Hundred and Forty Eight. My name's Graham Cluley, and I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, who have we got with us this week as our special guest? An old favorite. I'm not that old. Dave Fittner <laughs> from the Cyberwire. Who's older between the two of you? Oh, that's a good question. I was born before the summer of 69. I was born in the summer of 69. Oh, oh. so close. <laughs> So we all know who the grandpa is around here. Yes, the advantage is yours. <laughs> You'll be in diapers before me. That's right. That's right. Maybe we can uh, find a, a nice retirement home for both of us and we can take turns wiping each other's mouths as we drool on our food. We'll be like Jack Lemon and Walter Matow. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. I'll make sure to visit often. That's good. Let's thank <laughs> this week's sponsor, 1Password. Its support helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? Oh, well, I could be pressing Control u or I could be hitting the F12 key. <sighs> Sounds geeky. <laughs> Dave, what about you? I'm going to have a story about how your ring camera might be costing you a lot more money than you had planned for. And I am looking at the explosion of facial recognition. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, I bring you grave news from the plains of Missouri, where a website run by the Department of Education was reportedly hacked last week. And 100,000 social security numbers of school teachers, administrators, employees may have been exposed. Pretty 
bad stuff, mm. I think you'll agree. They're probably all going, yeah, 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 we were part of the Equifax hit ages ago. <laughs> Who cares? A sophisticated actor, no doubt. Yes, yes. Well, isn't it always, you know, despite <laughs> taking security seriously, a highly sophisticated attacker come get in. No less a person than Mike Parson. Do you know who he is? He is the governor of Missouri. Oh, yeah, of course. Mm. <laughs> no, I wouldn't know that. He's big in Missouri, <laughs> let me tell you. And he held a press conference on Thursday where he stood tall and proud. He adopted a very serious stance, quite a wide stance, and he denounced the actions of the hacker, who, it was claimed, had used a multi-step process, who had decoded the HTML source code and then viewed the social security numbers of education workers. Now, you're probably wondering just how sophisticated <laughs> was this attack? Who could have been responsible for this serious hack? The hacker in question is said to be an individual called Josh Renault. Isn't Renault French for Fox? Is uh, that right? No, Renault. Renault. Close enough. Close enough. I think uh, you'll agree. To, uh, <laughs> I think the French would have an opinion on that. <laughs> He's trying everything to goad me, I can tell. He's in goad mode. Anyway, look, it's R-E-N-A-U-D. Is that Fox? No. Right. Anyway, regardless, <laughs> the wily hacker snaked his way in, and Governor Parson was not a happy man. You can watch the video of his press conference where he says the state does not take this matter lightly. This administration is standing up against any and all perpetrators who attempt to steal personal information and harm Missourians. That's a great word, isn't it? Missourians. Missouri sounds like it's from Star Trek. I think it sounds great. So what the heck is going on, you're thinking? What on earth could be up? Well, the day before the press conference, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which is a newspaper out there, they reported that they'd found a, a teeny-weeny, tinsy-winsy little floor in the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education website, which had left the social security numbers of employees and teachers exposed. So it's just a tiny little floor. This is after the hacker has done its bit. Is that right? So to, so to recap, this security breach had happened on the Missouri Education website, which had exposed social security numbers. The newspaper, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, had reported on it and the floor which they had found, and then there followed the press conference from Governor Mike Parson. Now, you're probably imagining that this was some kind of security hole which the hacker had been able to go through, you know, really sophisticated, highly sophisticated attacker using nation-state hacking techniques, quantum computers, all kinds of really, really sort of expert stuff in order to get in. Yeah, you said it was a multi-step process, so... Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. In fact, in fact, all the hacker, in quotes, did was go to the webpage and click view source <laughs> on a publicly accessible web page. Brilliant. Now, if, if clicking view source is a little bit too techy for you, you can just press the F12 button in a browser or command U, and that will do it as well. Um, it's the choice, the choice is yours. And when, when the reporter at the St. Louis Post Dispatch did this, because this, this guy, Josh, I know the guy who has been named the hacker was in fact a reporter at the newspaper. He had found this. He'd gone to the webpage. He'd begun to use it, hit view source, and he'd seen other people's social security numbers. 
When he found that security hole that could be exploited with just one click, what did he do? He told the state government about it responsibly. He responsibly reported it to them. Reported to Mr. Parsons, presumably. Right. Well, I don't. I don't Got wind think, of it pretty soon. Well, yes. I don't, think, I don't think they rang him up. If they did, maybe that explains everything. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet he wasn't the first person they called, as will be clear as you continue to tell the tale. <laughs> and so, and so, so, and so, the newspaper actually held off reporting about the goof until after the problem had been fixed. So it's quite responsible of them, right? They didn't mm-hmm. expose anyone's social security number. They found a problem on the website. They told the department about the problem. They waited until the department fixed it, and then they published about it. Yeah, responsible disclosure. Perfect. Right. Well, someone who isn't happy is Governor Mike Parson, who vilified the reporter as a hacker at his press conference and said that they were going to be reported to prosecutors. And when you watch a video, I'll link to the video in the show notes as well. When you watch the video of the press conference, it is truly breathtaking. But let me be clear. This administration is standing up against any and all perpetrators who attempt to steal personal information and harm Missourians. It is unlawful to access encoded data and systems in order to examine other people's personal information. And we are coordinating state resources to respond and utilize all legal methods available. He considers it a completely criminal act that this person came in and clicked on view source. He says the state is committed to bring to justice anyone who hacked our system and anyone who aided and abetted them to do so. He says that the St. Louis Post-Dispatch was attempting to embarrass the state and sell headlines for their news outlet. And then he says how much it's going to cost the taxpayer to get to the bottom of all of this. This incident alone may cost Missouri taxpayers as much as $50 million. I'll do it for half that much. (laughs) (laughs) Which buddies, which buddies did you call Mr. Governor Parsons to look into this? They quoted that number. So did anyone say to him, could you just define hacker? Well, no, he defines hacker. A hacker is someone who gains unauthorized access to information or content. This individual did not have permission to do what they did. They had no authorization to convert or decode. So this was clearly a hack. He says, we will not rest until we understand the intentions of the individual and why they targeted teachers. It's like, well, the intention was clearly to to tell the state there was a problem with their website and to get it fixed. (laughs) Yeah, this is like, this is almost like the true definition of misinformation, isn't it? It's like you find a flaw, you do everything that you're supposed to do. This is not, this is 2021 people, right? And this happens and it, it sets us back. You know, I can just imagine people like our other papers writing about this, um, his speech at the press conference saying, um, we're a little worried. Oh, yeah. The tech press certainly have been having a good old laugh about this. And if you go onto Twitter, <laughs> you'll find thousands of tweets of people replying to the governor going, uh, I'm not so sure about this. 
And it's, the governor has doubled down, too. Even after getting all of this feedback from people who actually know what they're talking about, he is not backing off. Well, I think this is a war, isn't it? Basically, on a newspaper, which he sees as not being supportive of his administration. And mm-hmm. so it, it's, well, it's all part of this thing which is going on all around the world where we're, we're all sort of split down the middle. And it doesn't matter about the truth or facts. It more matters as to were you having a go at me or not? Or were you making me look incompetent or stupid? Mm. I'm curious, a little side issue here, Graham, mm. but you did, you sort of brought this up. And one of the things I saw on Twitter was people getting all bent out of shape over the use of the word hacker. Mm. and what exactly it means. And I'm curious for the two of you uh, how you define a hacker and what what it is and is not. Uh, and also what you think about there, – there are people who are really, in my view, a bit pedantic about its use. Yeah, yeah. I'm quite pedantic about hacker as well. I think hacker is anybody who wears a baseball cap sideways and has baggy trousers. I think that <laughs> that is the definition. I, I agree. You agree with that, Crow? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, moving on then. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think it means? Well, I think one of the problems with the word is that it has contradictory meanings depending on yes. uh, the context. It, it, it's, its broadest use is someone who is not good at something. A hacker is someone who's not good at playing golf, right? He's, oh, he's a hacker. Oh, I see. He's a hacker. Hacker. Oh, right. Yes. Right. Hmm. Um, but in computing, it means someone who is skilled, but it also has the definition of someone who is attempting uh, access to systems, attempting yeah. to circumvent protections against systems. Um, not always, but sometimes for, uh, you know, bad purposes. And that's um, what gets some people's knickers in a twist, isn't it? Because I, I quite often get feedback from people saying, uh, would you not describe them as a hacker, please? Can you call them a cracker instead? And right. It, oh, it just drives me up the wall. I like the word, actually. I, I don't know. I feel for people that do it for a legitimate job and they don't want to be, you know, they don't want the term to be always used to mean bad agents or bad actors. I like the term bad yeah. actor. You know? Oh, do you? Yeah. That just makes me think of Nicolas Cage. Well, stop flattering yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wonder if it's kind of like the word theory, which is that the word theory means something mm-hmm. different to scientists than it does to people in the general public, right? People in the general public, they'll say, oh, that's an th- interesting theory. But to a scientist, a theory actually is much is a much higher level of scrutiny, and so I wonder if it's the same thing with hacker. To professionals, it means one thing, but to the general public, it has different connotations. And because of that, I think it's silly that people get all bent out of shape when it is a word with such often contradictory terms, depending on its context. I think people just need to kind of let it go. Yeah. And I think quite often the people who work in cybersecurity find it hard to let things like this go, don't they, and to be relaxed <laughs> you think? about it. That's... You think? You think? Graham, is that something that cybersecurity professionals tend towards, is not being able to let things go? I haven't seen that on Twitter at all. Dave, what have you got for us this week? Well, my story uh, comes, uh, it's been reported many places uh, over in your neck of the woods. This particular Mm. story I'm linking to is from the Daily Mail. Oh. 
Was it not in any newspapers as well? (laughs) I thought I was walking into that one. I was actually going to say, before we continue, can you give us a little assessment of of the the reputation of the Daily Mail? (laughs) Yeah. This has been covered in the BBC and other places, but the reason I'm using the Daily Mail is because their coverage of it has the most photographs, and which is perfect for a podcast. (laughs) Yes. 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 So Dave's going to be describing the pictures from an article. Okay, great. Well, all right. So the other reason this caught my eye is that I believe this is in your neck of the woods. This is in Oxfordshire. That's where you all Uh, are. No, um, we actually live in Oxfordshire. Um, so that's the well. I say Oxfordshire. So do you? <sighs> yeah. Anyway, it's happening in Tame, isn't it? Oh, that's well. That's not very far from Oxford. Yeah, that's that's quite close to us. All right. So this story is about a woman who may be uh, in for a hundred thousand pounds being paid by her neighbor after a judge ruled that the neighbor's ring smart doorbells uh, were a privacy violation, according to GDPR. And uh, this gentleman installed four ring doorbells all over his property. He claims that two of them were just dummy doorbells, but the judge didn't go for that. <laughs> and so it seems like these two neighbors got in a bit, bit of a disagreement. She was upset that his ring doorbells, which, of course, record video and audio and can right. send them to your smart device or wherever. She was upset that his smart devices could see into her property. Yeah. Ah. See her back garden, her front walk, all that sort of stuff. He pushed back, and according to this article, fairly aggressively. And so she took it to court, and the judge has found in her favor. And uh, because this is a GDPR violation, he could – next month, in November, the, uh, there's going to be a, a ruling as to whether he may have to pay a 100000 Hundred thousand for violating her privacy. Should we do a wager right now on that? Well, this isn't America, so I'm sure it won't be a hundred thousand no. pounds. It'll probably be about thirty-two pounds fifty. I think it's going to be take down your ring, right, yeah, or rearrange it, your ring so they don't. We're a little bit property. more sensible here normally, but I mean, like, why doesn't just buy a fence? What? You know? <laughs> well, so that's what I, some of the things I want to dig in of this story is. If you install something like this in your house, and and there, if you the two of you look at some of the pictures here, these are actually these aren't next door neighbors. There is a house in between their two homes, um, and these are attached houses. So uh, here in the states, we would refer to them as duplexes. Yeah, I'm not sure what you call them over there. Semi-detached. We, yeah, we semis, call these. Yeah. There you go. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. So there is actually a house in between their two homes, but. Uh, close enough that you can certainly understand that one could see into the other house. But evidently, one of the things that the judge took issue with was the fact that the ring doorbells record audio and that they can record audio from quite some distance. And so the judge thought this was a violation of uh, this woman's privacy because the ring doorbell a couple doors down could hear conversations that she was having on her front porch, for example. Hmm. Do you think that's reasonable? Well, I, d- I don't really like the idea of ring doorbells taking video mm. and recording audio. I do, I do think they do snoop on people and, you know, they do infringe. Priv- but what, why these people couldn't just have come to some sort of settlement between themselves rather than going to court just seems crazy to mm-hmm. me. 
It seems mm-hmm. r- rather bonkers. Well, there are some neighbors out there when you might go over, they might just go, why don't you f*** off, right? And then <laughs> what do you do then? <laughs> well, I was about to say, I don't know where you live, Grohl. No, but... <laughs> no, my neighbors are all lovely. <laughs> I, I, so what do you think, Crow? How would you feel if your neighbors installed one of these camera recording things? I don't like it. I do have someone who lives down the road, so almost neighbor, and mm. they have a sign on their front window saying smile you're on candid camera or something or you're you know mm-hmm. cctv in, in operation or something and it's sticking it he has a camera facing the road so the road is public property right i don't know if my neighbors near him are under that surveillance but i wouldn't like it next door to me yeah a couple of my neighbors have ring cameras and i live in a, a townhome community which is um you know rows of houses that are connected and so w- the way that the parking works in my community, if I park my car and then go to my house, I have to pass by several of these cameras on my way to and from. And that's given me pause from time to time to think, well, you know, my comings and goings are being recorded. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in this case, it's a it's interesting because it is a private community. It's not technically a public street but it is a shared space dave the, dave, the way you talk about this community that you live on it it sounds like yeah. it's sort of like sheltered accommodation for the elderly it sounds like is this where <laughs> podcast hosts go in their sunset years mm-hmm. it's utopia that's a, yes that's exactly <laughs> what it is it's a it's a gated community uh graham and it is only made up of retired how do i get in you need a zimmer frame <laughs> Right. Right. Start working on that green card, Graham. I I know some people. Maybe I can get you in. Uh, It's really wonderful. Yep. They cut up all your food for you. It's just, oh, it's wonderful. It's a great place. Great place to be. I wonder with this, you know, is this a matter of neighbors getting together? If, If I was installing something like this, and if a neighbor came to me and said, hey, what's that camera there? And I would say, well, let's work here. Let me show you the interface. Let's work together to make sure that this is masked off in such a way that you're comfortable with it. But uh, no, no, they no, didn't happen no, here. No, Dave, you've got the wrong idea. What you want to do is this, right? You want yeah. to team up with your neighbor and say, I'm putting this camera here. All right. I want mm-hmm. you to take me to court, right? And mm. try and get. Oh, this isn't going to work, is it? I was no. thinking split that no. hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. Haven't really thought yeah. this all the way no. through. Heavy grand. Yeah. So why don't you just give me fifty grand? Yeah. Um, no. Here's what you do, Graham. You you anonymously send a camera to the third neighbor that yes. you, n- neither of you like. Right. Right. There, now you've got it. That's the way to do right. it. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> What have you got for us this week? Well, there's been a bit of an explosion of facial recognition software being used for all manner of things. And Mm -hmm. the pandemic is being cited as one of the main reasons for this intensity of facial recognition buy-in. But at what cost to the rest of us? Well, I I think the cost is that we're going to have to take our masks off for the facial recognition to work, which is going to be a bit of a nuisance, isn't it? (laughs) Well, I am going to waltz you guys through a few facial recognition trials and adoptions that are going on around the world, just to get your thoughts on them, okay? And as uh, D-Dog is here, Dave Bittner, let's start in the US. So federal agencies have turned to facial recognition as a contactless automated way of verifying the identity of people applying for 
unemployment or other public benefits. I was going to ask you, is there anywhere in your life where you have facial recognition as part of like that you have to go through that maybe at a bank or? No, just just my iPhone. I use Face ID on my iPhone. That's it. Yeah, I don't have facial ID on my iPhone or anything, but I'm thinking it would happen at an airport. Yep. Um, totally. But of course, I haven't been going through very many airports recently. Yeah. According to MIT Technology Review, 27 states are working with ID.me. This is a company that offers face recognition technology. And the driver here is to stop fraud. Yeah. U.S. Department of Labor is providing millions in funding to states to implement fraud prevention measures, which has pumped more money into facial recognition. So in recent months, there have been reports across the country of incidents where unemployment systems are failing to recognize applicants' face scans, and individuals can find themselves in precarious financial situations because this is all having to do with unemployment. So imagine your company tanks, you lose your job, you've got kids to feed and a house, and you uh, do your recon and you realize that your situation qualifies you to get unemployment. And if the system doesn't recognize you through its facial recognition software, you can find yourself shut out from the benefits. Mm. Mm -hmm. One of the issues here is it concerns about 5 to 10% of the population who seem to get somehow shafted by facial recognition. You know, maybe they've had plastic surgery or they've had an accident to change their facial features or they're transitioning or they have facial hair or yeah, whatever. If I, if I was unemployed, I might want to take up a hobby to fill the time, like growing a mustache. Or a right. Or That'll take you a while. You're not going to be getting a job in the next 10 years, I think. <laughs> it, w it would take me quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. It would be counterproductive, wouldn't it? I wouldn't be able to get my mm. dole money. But there's no recourse for these people. So that's what the big complaint is. It's like, okay, it locked me out. I'm totally need this. And I can't get away around the system. Like the system, the algorithm is running the show. Hmm. But also, facial recognition is notoriously bad at dealing with people of color. Yep. Yes. Time and time again, we see the studies say this, and that's... Anyone who's not white, really. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. Because most of the big training sets are white people. And we move now to the UK, where there's nine schools in Scotland that have begun taking payments for school lunches by scanning the faces of their pupils. Okay, this is according to an article in the Financial Times. And more schools are expected to follow. Now, the idea behind it, again, is, you know, it's to save money, right, and cut costs. Because the idea is that it will speed up lunchtime sales by scanning the faces of pupils at the tills. But, like, why is this better than having a contact card? Yes. So they're, they're also saying, like, in this time of COVID, we don't want to touch anything. Okay, I get all that. And they're using that to try and get this into lots of places. But what's wrong with a contact card? Oh, you know what, Icarol, you need to take yourself back to the playground. Especially okay. imagine a Scottish playground where the kids are tough and red-haired. Well, they go, give me your food card. Well, exactly. They're, people would be bullied. Mind you, school dinners, normally you don't want more of the food, do you? But maybe in <laughs> Scotland... You want a fried Mars bar or something. And so you might go back for seconds with someone else's card. It is possible. It's possible. Yeah. A lot of them schools apparently were using fingerprint recognition. Maybe that's the reason to stop well, the bullies. But, yeah, uh, but then the pupils start cutting each other's fingers off, you know. And you know. <laughs> When I was back in school, the lunch ladies, and back in the day, it was all lunch ladies. <laughs> the female canteen workers. <laughs> right, exactly. Female lunch ladies. Uh, they knew all the kids. And so now... 
I will just get on my soapbox briefly and just say that I believe school lunches should be free anyway. Just make it available for everybody. It's harder for kids to learn when they're hungry. So why make them pay for lunch at all? Just give, yeah. them, give them the food and be done with it. All right. Getting off my soapbox. Yeah. I high five that as you come down. So, so David Swanson, so the managing director of CBR Cunningham's, these are the people that installed the software, said this was the fastest way of recognizing someone at the till. Okay, so listen to this. In a secondary school, he says, you have around about a 25 minute period to serve potentially a thousand pupils. Fuck off. Are you telling me, are you telling me that schools with a thousand students all have the same lunch break of 25 minutes? No. Like, show me a canteen that's handled that ever in their lives. It's a ridiculous statement. Mm -hmm. uh, we need fast throughput at the point of sale. This is what he told the Financial Times. Now, apparently, it sped up the lunch queue significantly, cutting the time spent on each transaction to five seconds. Can you imagine? So you're sitting there and you see, you know, the lunch person. You're like, hi. And like, no time for that. Go, 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 go. <laughs> <laughs> Move along. <laughs> I don't know. You could just stagger lunchtime, seems to me. That might be an easier way yeah. about this. Hang on. Five seconds per pupil. Yeah. And he's saying it is uh, a thousand pupils. Yeah. Oh, oh, here comes the math. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well that's not going to happen in 25 minutes. Mm, interesting. Is, is it? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense because this is the thing. When I'm at the airport and does the facial recognition thing, it takes bloody ages. Right? Doesn't yeah. it? Of make sure you're standing properly, open your eyes properly, you know, <laughs> don't smile. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have no real problem with doing it at airports or at places of, you know, high importance like that. But for lunch? <laughs> for lunch. According to Silky Carlo, the director of Big Brother Watch. Who? Silky Carlo. Isn't that a good name? Silky Carlo? <laughs> Silky it's Carlo. My, it's going to be my radio DJ name. <laughs> Silky Carlo coming at you with those stacks of wax and the platters that matter. Silky Carlo. The director of Big Brother Watch. Um, this biometrics company has refused to disclose what information they are getting. And that is causing some red flags. Like, what are you collecting through letting people use their face as their meal ticket, literally? Mm-hmm. Seems to me like you get one kid who decides that this is the, the day they're going to come out of their shell and decide to go goth, and they gummed up the whole works. <laughs> or grew, grew a little face fuzz, right? Right, shave their head, who knows, decided to go heavy on the eyeliner, and everybody's backed up now because... Yeah, put like some kind of chain from their ear to their nostril to their to their eyebrow. Yeah. And then they don't get lunch. Right, and everyone behind them is tapping their fingers waiting because they they've, they've gummed up the works and they're saying look hey we got we got the okay from all the parents on this and it just yeah would have loved more time to go look into this to see where the schools are and what parents had said and in summary in summary <laughs> in summary it's going to take longer than ever to feed your kids and it's going to cost a fortune <laughs> yep and it's going to go wrong and the data will get stolen and then where are you at? Right. Immutable data. Yeah. You don't want hungry Scottish kids. <laughs> you know what? I'm opting out of going outside, I think, in all this. That's what I'm going to do. Because that's the only thing. I can't even be at home if my neighbor has an, a ring. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I'm going to become a hermit. <laughs> How would we tell? Wow. 
For the last 15 years, the great team at 1Password have been helping folks stay protected, private and productive, whether they use 1Password or not. And now, with the launch of 1Password University, they've used their expertise to create fun, dynamic and free learning resources for people of all skill levels. Learn how to make the most of your 1Password account's features, find out how to build a culture of security in your workplace, or discover why reusing the same password across multiple accounts puts you at risk. Broaden your knowledge, starting with the basic building blocks of security. Learn at your own pace and discover the tools and tactics that will help keep you safe on the internet. Whether you're a business leader, looking to create a culture of security in the workplace, or you're a user trying to understand why you need a unique password for each account, 1Password University's free courses have got something for you. Go check them out right now. Try 1Password University for free at www.1password.university. That's www.1password.university. And welcome back. And you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week this week is not security-related. It was pointed in my direction by my friend Petra. Um, it ah. is, yes. Well, the rest of the world has been watching Squid Game and Succession. My friend Petra has been watching a TV show called Married at First Sight Australia. And she said, you might like it, she said. It is a cultural feast, she said. <laughs> and so I checked it out. Now, specifically, I'm talking about Married at First Sight Australia. Not the UK edition, not the US edition. It has to be the Australian one. And it has to be mm. season six, which oh. is, is the best. Well, it's the only it's one I've very seen. Very specific. <laughs> Now, this was first broadcast in Australia two years ago, but it has just reached British shores via the all four streaming service. I think it was on E4 here. The rest of you, I don't know how you're going to get a hold of it, but you'll have to try. I think I saw, well, maybe it was a different name show, but the premise was the same and it was in Australia and it was on Netflix. It may be. So the basic premise of Married at First Sight is that two people get married literally at first sight. They've never met before. They don't know anything about each other. They don't know what they look like. They don't know what their partner's name is. Nothing at all. What could possibly go wrong? Exactly. <laughs> Relationship experts have matched them up as part yep. of a scientific experiment. So they get married and then the TV cameras follow them through those early weeks of marriage as they get to know each other. Because that's totally natural to have cameras all over your face. <laughs> we just have ring doorbells everywhere. Oh, <laughs> my word. I've seen the British version before, which is pretty tame in comparison with the Australian, especially season six, um, which is the one I'm recommending. Because although there were some lovely, there was one lovely couple who just thought, oh, they really are in love. And you thought, this is so lovely. And she's lovely and he's lovely. And they're obviously going to be with each other forever because it's just worked. For real? But, yes. Yes. Yeah. There were some others who had a little bit more of a problem. And I was watching there with the popcorn, my jaw open as I ploughed and binged through this TV show as it was just like 
twist after twist after twist. Can you give us an example? Let, oh, you see, I don't want to give too much away. He can't remember. Um, yeah, no, I he can't. slept well, through it. <laughs> for, for, I don't want to give away too much of what happens later in the series, right? Because there mm. are some major shifts. So you follow the same couple throughout the series? Like it's three couples, isn't ah, it? No, it's series? not three or? couples. No, oh. in the Australian version, they have a, probably about eight couples. And the couples meet up at dinner parties and discuss how it's going. Oh, my God. Where the alcohol God. flows. And, I love how there's scientists involved in this fucked up And show. scientists are watching their interactions and determining <laughs> like, mm-hmm, how well mm-hmm. they're getting on. And people are getting into arguments and partners are unimpressed by what their partner is saying about their relationship. And so there's Matthew the Virgin, um, who says he's gone on the show because he's 30 and hasn't had sex yet. And there's Lauren, who's definitely up for some. <laughs> Um, and he has to reveal that he's a virgin, you know, big deal. There's Mick the farmer who gets, uh, who gets uh, set up with Gee. Jess. Oh, things I could tell you about Jess. Um, Innes, <laughs> Innes, who gets put together with Bronson, the stripper. She's very unimpressed. I'll put in a little link to a video. Yeah. So this is car crash TV with a little science lair to give it a little bit of... You know what? In some ways, it's really heartwarming because you think that is a lovely way to watch someone. There was another bit. There were a couple, Mike and Heidi, who I found fascinating. They weren't the most car crash couple of all of them. But Heidi kept on pointing out things that were wrong with Mike. For instance, Mike went out late to bring back food for their dinner. And he, he ended up coming back with food for himself and not for Heidi. And he said to Heidi, sorry, your shop was shut. So I haven't brought you back any food, right? Heidi, a dick, a uh, douche, yeah. Heidi, understandably, brought this up with the relationship experts and said she thought it was rather inconsiderate. To my surprise, the relationship experts just told her, let it go. I mean, for goodness sake, aren't you being a bit nitpicky here? And I was watching the TV go, no, this guy is an ass for doing this. And he does I'm going to have to watch this tonight. Oh, my God. He does it. We, there's a lot of episodes, Carol. I'm going to watch season six. Okay, well, okay. There's a lot. How many episodes in season six? 31. <gasps> wow. I fast forwarded through a lot of it because there were particular people I was really interested in. Innis, Jess, Mike and Heidi, they're very interesting. You want to watch those. Um, anyway, the show is called Married at First Sight Australia. You can find it on uh, all four <laughs> streaming in the UK. And I was surprisingly engrossed in it so that's why i'm not watching squid game and succession would you say it's highbrow <laughs> there are brows in it <laughs> oh, which are sometimes high <laughs> your brows were high the whole time you were watching it and your jaw was low look it's my guilty little secret and as guilty little secrets go it's not that it's hardly a secret you just announced it on the podcast yeah because i feel this i'm sort of cleansing myself you know i'm this is like a confessional. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Links in the show notes if you want to see a, a clip of what it, how Innes reacted to her uh, husband the very first time that she saw him. Dave, what is your pick of the week? Well, let me ask the two of you, is late night AM radio a thing over in the UK? The No, not really. Not, oh, no. A, not AM, no, no. I mm-hmm. love that stuff, though. I, I spent my childhood listening to that. Okay, so you're familiar with it, Carol, from your your Canadian upbringing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perhaps you heard some of the Clear Channel stations making their way over the border from from your friendly southern neighbors here in the U.S. Yes, while we were warming um, ourselves, you know, inside a bear carcass. Yes, <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. snuggling up yeah. with a moose. Absolutely, yeah. right. Um, well, 
there is a very well-known late-night AM radio host named Art Bell, and he hosts a show called Coast to Coast AM. And this show is all about the paranormal and conspiracy theories. And my mom's um, obsessed with it. Loves is that right? It. Yeah, yeah. So there, you know, if this, if you want to learn about ghosts and aliens and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster, and this is the show for you. And she's not into all that stuff. I think she just likes his voice and she kind of snoozles. She sleeps kind of listening to it. Mm. Yeah. 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 And it's been running for a long time. Uh, and it's very popular. Well, my pick of the week this week is a podcast and it's called Dark Air with Terry Carnation. And it's actually starring Rain Wilson, who uh, is one of the stars of the U.S. version of The Office. Yes. He plays Dwight Schrute in The Office. And he plays uh, a version of Art Bell. And this is a dark comedy about his life and this radio show that he's on and and some mysteries that happen in his own life uh his wife disappears and um there's there's some intrigue that happens with that uh it's a smartly written show it's very dark humor so if you like that sort of thing and if if uh you're someone who spent any time listening to these old AM radio shows uh this pokes fun at all that in a very affectionate sort of way so it's called Dark Air with Terry Carnation, and it is my pick of the week. <laughs> That's great. Mm. Is Terry Carnation a friend of Silky Carlo? <laughs> <by any chance? laughs> I think they're, they're old college chums. Sure. <laughs> they had an old vaudeville show together back in the day. <laughs> Graham, check out Art Bell on Wikipedia. It's just the best picture ever. Oh, okay. For, Hang on. Let's yeah. Art Bell, Wikipedia. It's a very unusual Wikipedia picture. Is it perfect? <laughs> it's perfect. It's like he's got the Columbo <laughs> cigar, but the black yeah. turtleneck of the Steve Jobs. Into the paranormal with Art Bell. If I mean, if you called up Central Casting and said, <laughs> I need you to send over a late night radio host to talk about uh, conspiracy theories. From 1978. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is, this is that guy. He has not visited his optometrist in three decades. Funny. Great, great pick of the week. Crow, what's your pick of the week? Mine is a mini-series, um, a tense British procedural drama called Vigil. It's created by Tom Edge, same producers as The Line of Duty, and launched on the BBC in August this year. Okay, and the whole thing is in Scotland, and much of the action takes place on a fictional ballistic missile submarine of the Royal Navy. Ah. Uh -huh. And the tagline is, the deeper you go, the darker it gets. You know, when a sailor is found dead on a submarine HMS vigil, DCI Silva uncovers a conspiracy. It stars Saran Jones, Rose Leslie, who I thought was great in this, uh, Sean Evans, Patterson Joseph. There's loads of people. The whole thing, though, is kind of ridiculous in my view. I imagine if I ever worked for the Navy or any military services and watched this show, I would just be appalled. You know, like, like the chain of command. It's just so loose. There's just so much crap going on. You just think that's mm. ridiculous. It's a bit like watching in the governor of Missouri talk about a, a cyber attack. You just think this is nonsense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it is fast paced. Um, and the game of the show is find the murderer, you know, who's hiding amongst all the people in the submarine. Like, could it be the HR liaison? Could it be the XO? Could it be the doctor? Could it be the Shoner specialist? Could it be the captain? Hmm. So you have a lot of that. But 
there's some excellent thrilling scenes. Like the opening scene is probably why it's here as my pick of the week because right. it's pretty wow. It's a pretty strong opener. It's like James Bond hmm. style opener. And there are a few fight scenes and a few surprises. And it's great fun. How many parts is it, Krill? Six parts. It's like much more reasonable than 31. 45 minutes each or so? <laughs> probably. <laughs> okay. So you can stream it on BBC iPlayer. It's probably available for sale. Mm. But I think it's pretty good. I think, you know, if you liked Line of Duty. Right. Now we're sucking on diesel. There's not much smiling in this one. There's not many jokes, right? Because there was a lot of laughter in Line of Duty, wasn't there? Yeah, (laughs) there was. He he was there for the comedy effect. They needed him running around. Hastings. (laughs) Anyway, I enjoyed it. Um, I hope if some of you do get in touch, let me know. Fantastic. Well, that just about wraps up the show for this week. Dave, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online, find out where you're up to. What's the best way for folks to do that? I am on Twitter at Bittner, that's B-I-T-T-N-E-R, and everything else is over at thecyberwire.com. Marvellous. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity, no G, Twitter and last have a G. And we've also got a subreddit, just look for Smash Insecurity up there. And don't forget, if you want to be sure never to miss another episode, follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And of course, thank you to this episode's sponsor, 1Password, and to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest lists, and the entire back catalogue of more than 247 episodes, check out SmashingSecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Alrighty. Don't click F12. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to become a bad actor bad act (laughs) no no violate the computer fraud and abuse act hey everybody carol here well you guys are pretty amazing We received a smattering of five-star reviews in response to last week's statement. And they're glorious. I want to thank 12122456 for saying it's not only a great way to catch up on the news, but it's also pretty funny too. I look forward to listening every week. Also to Tiny Techie, who said Thursdays have become my favorite day of the week because I get to listen to Smashing Security during my morning commute. Huzzah! Nikna is happy, says it's always informative and entertaining and shall defend our honor. Belvedere Jack says I've listened to this podcast for many years, hoping I'd enjoy it and get something out of it. Fortunately, each time has exceeded my expectations. Shucks. And last but not least, J.X. Coy, who says, I love this podcast. Very informative. Keep it up. Great work. Well, we're touched, we're thrilled, and we're grateful, and we will keep it up. Not that way, Graham. Jeez, what are you going to do with him? But we do wish you all a superb week. Stay safe out there. <laughs>